Good morning. We are going to be in two separate passages this morning, both in the New Testament. We're so, we had such a great time in Daniel, but we're moving a little ahead now. So our first passage is going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verses 20 through 22 and 23. And then the second passage will be 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. I'll give you a second to kind of thumb through and find those. It will also be printed on the screen behind me. So the Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there is no law. And then moving on to the first John chapter four, verses seven through eight, scripture. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know, does not love, does not know God, because God is love. This is God's word. Well, we're beginning a new series on the fruit of the spirit. We'll be in there uh, the majority of the summer. In the middle of the summer, we're going to have a guest speaker come in in the in the last summer of last Sunday of June, and uh, that'll be really good. I'm looking really looking forward to that. Um, but as this summer goes through, we're going to be going through these fruit of the spirit. We're going to take one fruit a week, and I'll just read this passage for you again that was just read for us. Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. One of the things that we're going to see as this summer progresses, as we look at these fruit is I hope that you guys feel a little bit and a little bit the weight that as believers, our lives, what Paul is saying is that the fruit of our lives, the, the, the product of our lives or the proof of God's spirit in our life should be a supernatural kind of fruit, a supernatural kind of life a supernatural kind of character. This would be something coming out of us and oozing out of us, something that is produced from within us to the people around us that reflect something greater than who we are alone. That there should be a, a, a savor and a sense of the divine, of the supernatural, of God in our lives. That our lives should look like Jesus is what we're really saying. So I hope as we go through the summer, we feel the weight of that. But also what I hope we, go th- we feel as we go through this summer is not only the weight that our lives should be looking like that, but the way that it happens is it's produced, Paul calls it the fruit of the spirit, that it happens not by us exerting ourselves. So the, what the, the message as we go through today and then through this summer, if the message that you hear is now go and work harder to be more loving, And next week, go hard and try to be more joyful. So we put on these loving masks and these joyful masks that aren't really who we are. And therefore, they don't really really look like Jesus and they don't really stand the test of time. Have you ever decided you're going to be joyful? How long does that last? It doesn't last very long, does it? Until somebody cuts you off in traffic. But... 
God's joy, God's love, God's peace is something that transcends human nature. It is inexplicable by any other way than God's work in the lives of believers. That's why Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. But if you don't abide in me, you won't bear any fruit. So I want us to feel the weight that our lives should be looking like this, but also that we should feel the joy and the relief in our souls that it's not something that we conjure up, not something that we make happen. These fruit are what's called graces. They're the gifts of God that are exhibited through our lives as we abide in Christ, as God's spirit abides with us. What, it, what Paul is really saying is that the fruit of the spirit, by the way, it's just little pet peeves of mine, there, it's not Psalms 81, it's Psalm 81. There's a book of Psalms, but it's one Psalm. And also this fruit of the Spirit, it's not the fruits of the Spirit, it is the fruit of the Spirit. They all grow together. You might naturally be a person who is more joyful than somebody else, but that doesn't mean that you have the joy of the Holy Spirit, the joy of Christ in your life. If you are growing in grace, you're going to be exhibiting all these graces in your life to some extent. These truths are graces and they are what, what Paul is saying is that they're the graces that are exhibited or produced in our lives when we are being controlled by the Spirit of God. These fruit are graces and they're graces that are produced as we are controlled by the Spirit of God. And it's no mere happenstance that Paul lists love first in this list. And there are some people who say that, that love is the chief of the fruit of the spirit. I think that is true. There are some people, some scholars, some theologians, some pastors who say that, that if you actually, all the rest of the fruit are actually grow out of love, that if you are loving, if you love people like God loves people, if you love God and love people the way God loves people, that you're going to be joyful, that you're going to be patient, you're going to be kind, you're going to be gentle. I think you can make that argument. Whether you do or not, there's no doubt that the preeminence of love in the Christian faith, love is the mark of the Christian life. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 22 and 37 and 40. And he said to them, somebody had asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And here's how he answered. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So he gave him the greatest commandment. But then he threw in this little bonus commandment for you. This is the great and first commandment, he says in verse 38. And then verse 39, he says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said that on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what Jesus is saying is that if we live our lives from these two great loves, a love for God and a love for other people around us, and we love them like we love ourselves, then all of God's commandments, all of God's law will be fulfilled in our lives. He said we must have a supreme love for God and we must love our neighbors or the people who are around us with, listen to this, the same kind of regard and priority that we love ourselves. That we should give the people around us the same kind of regard and the same kind of priority we give ourselves. It, it always stands out to me how like when you say you're hungry, I take that as an interesting fact or maybe a non-interesting fact. It's just, you say it and like, oh, okay. But when I'm hungry, we better eat now. I mean now, because hungry for me 
Dale knows this, Megan knows this, hungry really quickly goes into hangry. And, and Dale knows like, if, if we have a morning meeting and I haven't had coffee or something to eat yet, we don't really know what I could say or what I could do in that meeting. I give myself priority. I, I give myself a, a regard that is higher than other people because that is by, by nature. And what Jesus is saying is that my love for God should be supreme and then I should love you guys with the same kind of priority and the same kind of regard that I give myself. Now that's pretty high standard. Uh, John, who was Jesus' closest disciple, he described himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. He knew him probably better than anybody else on earth. And his gospel and his three letters in the New Testament are full of commands for us to love one another. It is all the way through both the, the gospel and his three letters. There's this legend, uh, this story that I love that uh, as John got to be old, he was the only apostle we believe that uh, grew to old age. As he was old and he could barely move, that when they would gather together to worship at times, they would carry him before the congregation so he could address the congregation. He was weak and he was frail and they'd carry him in front of the congregation and he would look out and he would just, it was exertion for him to say anything, but he would just say this. He would say, my little children love one another and then be carried back down to sit down. The disciple who Jesus loved, who knew him better than perhaps anybody else, the one command at the end of the day when he couldn't say anything else, when he would just address the church of Christ, he would say this, my little children love one another. So, so hear him to us this morning like, like an old man, a wise old disciple, a man who walked with Jesus and knew what Jesus, he knew what Jesus felt like. He knew what it was like to sit down with Jesus to eat a meal. He probably knew what Jesus' morning breath smelled like. He intimately knew him. And this is what this old man who was at the bottom of the cross and had seen many miracles done by Jesus and by others. This is what he has to say to us in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. He says, beloved, or that can be translated, my little children, my dear ones, or my really, my dear friends. Beloved, my dear friends. Here's what he has to say. Let us love one another. Why? For Love is from God and whoever loves, if you see someone loving, they've been born of God and they know God. Anyone who does not love, no matter what kind of label they carry, they might have the term pastor before their name. They might carry seminary degrees. They might have books of the Bible memorized. They might have per perfect attendance at church. They might vote the right party that you think they should vote for. They might have all the right things in their lives, but if someone does not have love, they, if they do not love, John says this, they do not know God because God is love. The, the point that John is making here, and he makes it over and over again, Jesus makes it over and over again, Paul makes it over and over again, is this, is that love is the chief marker of the community of Jesus. If you're keeping notes, I would write that down. Or I'd commit that concept to memory. 
that love is the chief marker of the community of Jesus. The chief marker of the community of Jesus is not good preaching, though that is very important. The chief marker of the, of the community of Jesus is not loud singing, though let's sing loudly. The chief marker of the community of Jesus is not well-prayed prayers. It is not the right doctrine. It is not following the right people on Twitter or Facebook. The chief marker of the community of Jesus is love. That is the chief marker of the people who belong to Jesus. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by what? By your love for one another. That will be how they know that you belong to me. What, what he's saying is this, that the love of the believers is the most visible manifestation of the presence of God on earth today. The love of believers is the most visible manifestation of the presence of God that we have on earth today. It is the proof that God exists for those who are outside the church. It is the proof that he dwells within us. If anyone does not love, they do not know God because God is love. But whoever has love has been born of God and knows God. Our love for others, especially other believers, is the evidence of God's presence in our lives. The evidence of God's presence in your life is not whether you get goosebumps or not while we sing, though I love when the Lord moves like that in our midst. The evidence of God's presence, the true concrete evidence of God's presence in our midst, in our lives, is our love for other people, particularly our love for other believers. It's the proof that God is real and that we are really his children. What we're talking about is that the love of believers, the love of the community of faith, the love of the church should be a love that's palpable. It should be a love that, is, that you can sense and feel and it should be a love that you see in action and should be a love that you kind of feel in the air. You know what I mean by feel in the air. I don't mean it's something weird though sometimes like, but I'm talking about like that, the culture, the overriding culture of God's people should be something that whenever you walk in the room and you see them interact with each other, you know there is love here in this room. Where somebody from, comes in from the outside and they do not know Christ and they can't keep, they say, I don't know that I believe what you guys believe and you got, what, what you stand for is a little bit weird and a little bit off for me, but I can't help but keep coming back because I feel loved and accepted here and I want what you guys have. Even though I don't yet believe it's true, I wish it were true. And what, what we're talking about is a, a culture of joyful grace and sacrifice. We're talking about a culture of grace and joyful sacrifice. That's really what love is. Love, if we've received the love of God, if we know love is from God, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If you've been born of God and you know God, then you're gonna extend and offer grace to people around you. You're not gonna be keeping account of whether they are crossing you or how many times they've opened the door for you or how many times they've lent you money or how many times you've done this for them and they haven't repaid you back. That's why marriages and families break up all over the place because we're secretly doing that with each other. 
It's why churches break up. It's why relationships among neighbors and friends and coworkers at work break up. Because we're always keeping track because I love you conditionally. I love you in return for what you do for me. But what Jesus is saying and what John is saying, what the whole tenor of the Bible is saying is that among believers who know God and have received his love for us, that we extend grace. We are not keeping track. We pull people into us no matter what they have done and we joyfully sacrifice for them, not with gritted teeth. We joyfully sacrifice for each other. If I see that you have a need, I, I am overwhelmed with joy that I get to, to fill that need, even if it costs me. I'm full of joy that I get to fill this need, even if I don't post it on Instagram and get any strokes from anybody else. I love, if if I'm operating out of that kind of grace and joyful sacrifice, then I love to come and set up for church on Sunday morning, whether anybody pats me on the back or not, because I know I'm doing, I'm setting this chair up, I'm setting this banner up for the people who are going to come in here so they can encounter and commune with each other and more importantly, with the Lord their God. And I have joy in that sacrifice and that service. And that is something, if you haven't picked up already, it's something that is otherworldly. But here's how important it is. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter a lot of you guys probably know. If, even if you're not a Christian, you've heard it at weddings or otherwise. But I want you guys to hear it in the light of what we're talking about this morning. Paul said in verse 1, he said, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Your performance, no matter how great it may look, if it's, coming, if it's not coming out of love, it is not pleasing the Lord and it's not actually going to last. But love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Hear this, verse 7. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. It's talking about those things with people. It's not like in general. It's saying love bears whenever my wife takes my fries. Love believes the best when I'm not sure someone is being honest with me. Love hopes all things when I feel that I should give up on somebody else around me. Love endures all things when I'm not sure that this relationship will ever turn around. It endures all things. So the question that we ask is, but does this describe, is this how people around us describe the church? Is this what people say about us? Is it what what people say about you? Is it what people say about me? Do they say things like, they might be a little bit weird, but man, they love each other. 
I may not agree with everything that my neighbor believes over there, but they have shown me love that is real. And so I wonder. And the reason that's true is because the whole world, every culture that we know of has a fascination with a concept of love. Every culture sings about love. We write poetry about love. Our stories revolve around love. That's because all of us by nature at our core of who we are as humans, we long for it. It's our greatest desire to be loved completely and to be able to love deeply in return. To be loved completely, no matter who I am or what I do, that I love completely and unconditionally and therefore I love you in return. My wife and I had to do some training for uh, foster parenting uh, uh, last summer. And one of the things that stood out to us as as they were going through these issues that kids who deal with trauma, uh, how that is caused and what the result of that trauma is, what they they really went through the trauma is that what what their child is not getting is they aren't getting unconditional love and that's what scars them and marks them. Sometimes for the rest of their life. We long for it because it's the very nature of our creator. Love is a central attribute of God. It is one of the very core things that when we say that make God, God, if we could even use that kind of language, which we probably can't, but the very core, the things that make God, God is love. I want you to notice two things. The One is the reason that John says that we should love each other and the definition of love that Jesus gives us. John said, love one another for love is from God. We should love each other because love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows of God. And hear hear that, that definition that Jesus, like a little teaser definition of what love means when Jesus says the second command is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What those things do is it, it gives us insight into the very nature and character of God. Love isn't an attribute that God happens to possess. Like we don't worship God because he happens to be loving. Love is the word that we use to describe the way God relates to himself and the way God relates to others. It's the very core of who he is. Here's what we mean by that. That at the core of who God is, God is self-giving the very core of who God is, God gives of himself. He gives of himself to us. Creation itself is an overflow of God's love, his, his graciousness and his goodness. He overflowed and created creation to showcase his nature and his character and his love upon us. The fact that food tastes good is an example of God's love for us. He could have made them like little pellets that taste like Dale's cooking. But instead, he made it edible and tasty. God shows his love for us in that that the, the Rockies exist and that waterfalls exist and that we live near an ocean that is incredibly beautiful that the sun rises over. 
The fact that the world is beautiful and there's so much good in it is God's love for us. He's sharing. The Bible says we're in Romans. The Bible says that creation itself showcases us a bit of God's glory. Which is the second thing that God is self-communicating. He's not impersonal. God by nature, if you think, have you ever thought about that? Like God could be impersonal. But God is by himself. He is a relational God. He wants to communicate himself to us. And so here's, that's some lofty talk, but here's what that means for us. Is it means that God loves others sacrificially and he loves others for their good. That's the definition of God's love. That he loves others sacrificially and he loves others for their good. That's part of what makes God so glorious and amazing. And if that's true, if God is love, if he is communicating himself and giving himself, sacrificing himself and always for the good of others around him, those are things that we worship him and we revere him for, then we should be careful. If that's true, then as believers who love him and revere him and worship him, then we should be careful to cultivate his love around us. If that's true, then if that's true about who God is, the very, a very central core attribute of who God is and what it means to, for him to be God, then we should reject conversations that aren't gracious and aren't loving to other people. We shouldn't want to listen to those who call other people names and degrade them because they think or believe differently. We shouldn't feed our souls with talk radio and television and social media where people, no matter how wrong they may be, are vilified. Look, if you listen to all the time, if you're listening to talk radio or following on social media or following people who vilify and degrade other people, no matter how wrong you think the other people may be, then that you're not participating in love because I may believe all the right things, but if I have not love, it is empty. We should be very protective of that. And this is important. Jesus' name should never be connected to such a thing. No matter how wrong the other person may be, no matter how bad their doctrine may be, Jesus' name should never be connected to vilifying and degrading other people. Jesus stands for truth. He hates sin. He died for it. But think about his attitude on the cross. On the very cross, he's looking down. He says, Father, he prays to the Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. The last thing that that we can cover in this passage is that we see that love not only is love the essential attribute of God and is the, the chief sign that we are God's people, the chief fruit of the Holy Spirit. But it should be encouraging us from this passage that love grows in us as we know God. That we've been talking about the necessity to love other people in the way that God loves people. Jesus made it very clear, but now the history of the world and your history and my history, our own lives tell us that we don't love like God does. I I, I may not know some of your stories, but I'm pretty sure that's true. Everyone in this room 
continually fails to love the people around us the way that God loves us. Unconditionally, self-giving, self-sacrificing, being joyful in the sacrifice, always looking for the good of others, giving them the priority and the attention that we would give ourselves. That is not the way most of our lives look. And not only is it not the way our lives have looked, but the truth is that our lives can't look like that, even though that we know that we should. I don't know about you, but I just can't muster up the kind of love that freely acts for the good of others, no matter what they've done for me or to me. And that is why Paul tells us that love is a fruit. Love is a fruit or a product of the spirit, not of me. Love is a fruit of the spirit of God, not of me. That's why John said, if anyone loves like God loves, then you know that they have been born again or born of God and that they know God. And that means two things. First of all, it means that the fruit of love grows in us. It's not by exertion or effort. It grows in us. It ripens as we grow as Christians, which by the way, is a cool way to, or maybe not, not a cool way or not an encouraging way to actually determine how you're growing as a Christian. If you're growing in love like God loves, then you are growing as a Christian. If you aren't, it doesn't matter what kind of scripture memory badges that you're adding to your Christian uniform. It doesn't really mean it. The fruit of love grows in us, not by our exertion or effort, but secondly, love grows in us as we know God more fully. Our true knowledge of God, how well you know God, can be measured by your love for other people. And here's how we know God. We know God as we realize that we are fully known by him and, he is and know that he has fully shared himself with us. We know God as we realize that we are fully loved by God. That's what we're saying. It's your and my knowledge or appreciation, my understanding, not my mental understanding, but my heart level understanding of the love that God has for me that frees me and enables me to love other people without keeping track of what they're doing or not doing to me in return. You must experience the love of God for you as costly and undeserving love in order to truly love the people around you. If your soul isn't crying out when we sing that last verse, why should I gain from your reward? I can't give an answer. If you think that you're bringing anything to the table that God loves you and is in, makes you endearing to God, then you don't understand the costly nature of God's love and just how undeserving you are of it. And therefore, you're gonna be keeping track of the people around you because you think that you're, hey, I might not be hitting all five goals, but I'm hitting one of them. And that's why whenever you sin or you fall out of fellowship with the Lord, that you feel that you have to let a couple of days pass of you doing the right thing before you can come to him. 
That's why you feel that I really can't pray to him until I go and perform these acts and I open my Bible and I read this much or I go to church or I mark all these checklists off this checklist. Like you don't really understand because you're thinking that you can perform your way into God's acceptance and you don't realize that you are absolutely and completely undeserving of God's love. And yet he offers it to you at a costly price freely from his heart. Not gritting his teeth, but smiling at you as he does it. Think about Jesus as after he rose again. He rose again and he appeared to those bozos who left him hanging whenever he was at his, the, his darkest hour. The ones who said, we will be with you, we'll follow you no matter what. No matter what you do, no matter what happens, we will be right behind you. And then when the chips were down, they were nowhere to be seen. One of his closest guys one of his closest guys not only ran away, but denied that he even knew him. I don't know who that is. And Jesus, whenever he appears back to those guys who had failed so miserably and still didn't understand, think of what he, he smiles at them. He appears to them and he tells them, peace be with you. He comes, the Lord of all who has risen from the dead, and he cooks them breakfast on the beach. You are absolutely, and I am absolutely and completely undeserving of God's love. And it was incredibly costly for him to love us. And yet he comes to us smiling, not gritting his teeth, offering to you grace and acceptance and love through Christ. And when you get that, and the more you get that, the deeper that goes, the deeper love for other people goes, the less you're keeping track. God's love for you isn't offered begrudgingly. God's love for you is offered to you absolutely willingly. The Father's smiling face is upon you. You know what that means? It means the only thing that can keep you from understanding God's love and then walking out in that love to the people around you is your lack of, your lack of understanding of your need for it. That's all that can keep you. Maybe you're here today and you see that for the first time. Maybe you've been around church for a while or maybe you're just fresh in here and you say, I see that for the first time this morning Run to Jesus who has sacrificed for your sins and smilingly offers you free and complete and unconditional grace for all the terrible things that you've done. And if you're a Christian this morning, do you see your continual need for that unconditional love this morning? plead with you. Let's look to the love of God that is ultimately shown to us in Jesus. Holy Spirit, show us the love of God that is shown to us in Jesus. Make the love of Jesus real to us, I pray. Look at his suffering. Look at his death. Look at his glorious resurrection. And then look at his smiling face and his open arm to you this morning. Christian, that's what's being offered to you this morning at the communion table. This holy communion that we're going to celebrate together is the smiling face and the open arms of Jesus. 
who though he endured incredible suffering and shame, yet freely and graciously and smilingly opens his arms to you today and says, come in. Oh, but God, I've been a, a, a Christian for a long time and you saw what I did yesterday, come in. God, you saw where I was last night, come in. God, you know what I've done, come in. God, you know how I've sullied myself, come in. God, you saw what they did to me. He says, come in. And know my gracious and unconditional love for you. And when you do, I will remake you. I will deposit my love in you and you will sense a new power and a new ability to love. Yes, even that person who's the hardest person for you to love and forgive and bear with, you will find a new power and a new grace to bear with them, not in your own exertion or effort, but you will feel and sense my love for them that will come pouring out of you towards them. And who knows what you might see? Who knows what you might see in that your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, your friend, when that kind of love begins to pour out of you graciously and humbly in the name of Christ. They may not believe, but they just might. But even if they don't, they'll say, I wish that was true. May they say, I know Jesus is real because of their love for me. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the cross, not as something that existed and happened 2,000 years ago at the cross now, undeserved, but yet offered freely and graciously to us. May we sense and feel the weight of your love for us, Lord. May we be bowed afresh by it. May we be wowed afresh by it. May we be humbled afresh by it. Lord, grow the fruit of love in our lives. And God, if there's anyone here who is not a believer in Christ, I pray they would run to you this morning. May they find me or someone else. and come home. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There'll be four stations, one at each corner. You'll get the cup, the wafers in the top, the juices in the bottom. Come as you see fit as we sing.